Well, in our message series, Praying with Jesus, we're, we're looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase, uh, which is found in Matthew chapter 6. And our goal is not just to learn about the Lord's Prayer. Our goal is so that we can apply these principles, so that we can pray more powerful and effective prayers. <clears throat> the Bible and the Lord's Prayer teaches us that that God's will is done on earth, I believe, only through the prayers of God's people. Let me say that again. God's will is done on this earth only through the prayers of God's people. That's why we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus have us pray that if it was not effective, if it was not necessary for God's will to be done? Here, uh, through our prayers. And as we pray in faith, we partner with God and we bring God's will to a greater degree from heaven to earth. And so prayer is one of the most exciting aspects of a believer's life, or it should be one of the most exciting aspects of a believer's life, as we see God move in answering our prayers. Now today my message is called the glory of God. We're going to be looking at the very last phrase uh, of the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew 6.13. It says, For yours is the kingdom in the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, most of the time when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray that, don't we? Now, if you look in your Bibles, you'll find it might be in, in uh, square brackets like it is up there in the New American Standard Version. It might be in a footnote. And why is that? Well, the reason is that the earliest Greek manuscripts do not contain this phrase in Matthew 6.13. We know it was added by 100 A.D. at the latest, and so the best scholarship indicates it was not in the original gospel, but was added by believers very early on uh, as an ending of worship. Now, if you read the Lord's Prayer without this ending on, it almost appears to many people as unfinished. There is no conclusion. There is no ending. It's almost as if Jesus left it open for us to fill in our own ending. Uh, it begins with worship, and to end it with worship is certainly fitting. And we uh, need to end our prayers, begin and end our prayers with worship as well. Now the content of this, uh, of this addition uh, is in keeping with the rest of the scripture. There's nothing wrong with it. It was a, an ending of worship. David wrote in 1 Chronicles 29.11 or prayed in Chronicles 29.11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And so in that verse, you see all the elements of the final phrase of the Lord's Prayer uh, being prayed and uh, give offered as praise to God. And so we're going to be talking about worship this morning, the glory of God, worshiping God and giving Him glory. What is worship all about? Well, worship is about adoring God. Worship is about focusing on God. It's about praising God. It's about thanking God. Acknowledging His greatness and all His attributes. Now, why should we worship God in prayer? Well, we worship God because He's created every human being to be a worshiper. It's within our makeup. It's within our DNA. To be a worshiper of God. And so everyone worships something. Everyone worships someone. Not everyone worships God, but everybody worships something. And so you either worship God the creator or you worship something created. 
Those are the two options. Now, in the something created realm, you have all kinds of sub-options, but they're all created things or created beings. Psalm 115 talks about those two options of worshiping. It says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever, he ple whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but they cannot see. Now catch this last phrase in verse 8. It says, those who make them, speaking of the idols, will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. And so whatever we worship, we become like. And that's a very, very important principle. Whatever we worship, we become like. If we worship God, we become more and more like Him. That's a good thing. If we worship created things, if we worship idols, we become like them, like lifeless things that can do nothing of eternal value. And so we want to learn how to worship God and God alone. We want to encourage others to worship God. Now today we're going to look at a passage in Revelation chapter 4. And it's going to give us an idea of how worship goes on in heaven. Did you know right now worship is going on in heaven? And why is that important? Because what are we praying in the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we understand how worship is going on in heaven, we ought to pray to bring that worship to earth. We want to bring heaven's worship to earth. We want to join in that heavenly worship, individually and as a church. Now, we're not really going to go into this, but the book of Revelation was originally written to encourage persecuted believers. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. Uh, very severely. And it seemed like everything was out of control. And the book of Revelation was written to those people to encourage them that God was still on the throne, that God was still in charge, that worship was still going on, and He was going to help them through. And so the same can be uh, true for us today. As we worship God, as we see Him in His great power, we can be assured that he's in control in our own lives and in our own time. So in order to learn how to worship better in our prayer life, we need to look into heaven. Now in your bulletins, there's a white page. It has my outline written out. I've got a lot of points this morning, but I'll go through them fairly quickly. And it has the verses as well. Revelation 4 verse 1. It says, After this I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And a voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so the writer of Revelation, that's John the Apostle, he was given a vision of heaven. He saw a door open in heaven. And he was going to be shown things that would take place in the future. Now in this chapter, Revelation 4, that we're looking at this morning, we're going to be seeing the worship that goes on in heaven. We're not going to be talking about the prophetic things about the future that are discussed later in the book. But when we better understand what heaven is like, we're going to be equipped to trust God on this earth. When we worry, when we get consumed with our problems and our difficulties, it's because 
we do not have a vision of God, of who He is, and how He is in control. So what is the first thing that John sees in heaven? He sees something that reminds him that God is in control, that God rules over everything. He said, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. It's the very first thing he saw. And so the focus of heaven, the focus of the worship of heaven is, is God himself. And so the very first thing that captivates John, the first thing that he sees is this, is this throne with God himself seated upon it. And so from heaven, God rules the earth. He rules the universe. He holds everything in his hand. We don't really understand that. What, what we call the laws of nature are simply God ruling the universe. He didn't spin something in, into uh, existence at creation and it just goes on by itself. Everything that happens is held together by God himself. All things are subject to his rule. And we can worship him for that. And so God rules. He demonstrates love and judgment. The book of Revelation is full of various judgments. But God is loving and merciful as well. It says, The one who sat there on this throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Now you never see a precise description of God the Father. He's spirit. And he's surrounded with light. You can't, you can't hardly pierce the light that's coming for, from him. And so here he's described as being illuminated with this colored light is reflected by precious stones. It's, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And the throne was encircled with this emerald rainbow. What does the rainbow remind us of? It reminds us of the flood. God's judgment and God's mercy and saving those who put their trust in him. And so as we pray, our gaze should be fixed on, not on our problems first and foremost, but on heaven, on God, seated on his throne. Picture in your mind's eye the scene that's described here in Revelation. It's put here for a purpose so that we can begin to visualize to some degree what heaven is like and what God is like. Picture him seated on this enormous throne, surrounded by this light of brilliant colors. Awe-aspiring. It takes your breath away. This is the God that we serve, and he's the God who loves us. And nothing is impossible for this great God, this God that we pray to, this God who guides our lives. And so when we have a vision of God, in control of everything on this throne, then our problems seem quite small in the light of God's greatness. And so when you pray, don't magnify your problems. Magnify God and put the things in right perspective. Now in heaven, the believers are enjoying the presence of God. Those who have gone on before. It says, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And so the first thing that John sees is this throne with God seated upon it. And then he notices around 
The central throne are 24 smaller thrones, and seated upon those thrones are elders. The term elder is always used in the Bible to designate a human being. And so these are believers who enjoy God's presence, and God has promised that we will co-reign with him. And so they are, in a sense, ruling and reigning under God in heaven. The white clothes they wear symbolize that they are holy. They've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ by putting their faith and trust in him and their sins have been forgiven. The crowns are wreaths of gold on their head symbolize that they are overcomers. The Bible says those who overcome will be given a crown. A crown of victory. That they persevered in life and remained true to the Lord to the end through their faith. Not only is God the Father seated on a throne, but we see the second person of the Trinity. God's Spirit is there promoting worship. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits, or uh, perhaps better translated, the sevenfold spirit of God. And so heaven is not a quiet place. Everyone thinks heaven is very quiet and subdued. It's like a rock concert, really. It's very noisy. Lightning, flashes of thunder, it's an awesome spectacle. I mean, we see that in the Old Testament. When God came down on the mountain, it was the same thing. Flashes of lightning, thunder, fire burning before him. The power of God is on awesome display. And the seven lamps blazing represent the sevenfold spirit of God in his fullness right in, in front of the throne. And so here we have, there's a lot of symbolism here, this, the seven uh, lamps on the lampstand in the tabernacle. I mean, everything. There's all kinds of things that we can't go in here today. But it all fits together. And so this second person of the Trinity, we see God the Father on the throne and then the Holy Spirit promoting worship. Now in Revelation chapter 5, which we're not going to get to today, we see the third person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ coming as the Lamb of God to be worshipped as well. God's Spirit brings peace. It says also before the throne, we have the seven blazing lamps representing the Spirit of God. Before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. Can you imagine that? Whenever you look at a lake, whenever you look at any body of water, there's always some ripples, aren't they? There. That's never just like a sea of glass. There's always a little wind. There's always a little something stirring it up. But despite what's going on in heaven, there's not a wave, there's not a ripple on this sea. It's, it's just perfectly smooth. All is at peace. I'm reminded of Jesus when he was on the lake and a storm arose and the sea was beating against the boat and Jesus stood up and said, peace be still. And everything calmed down. And the sea became as glass, not a ripple on the water. And that's how it is in heaven. Despite the noise of the throne, despite this loud worship that we're going to see in a minute is going on, there's peace that passes all understanding in heaven. All turmoil 
all pain, all trouble, all stress, all sin is gone in heaven. Only the peace of God remains. And so where God's Spirit is, where God's Spirit is there in fullness, there's worship and there's peace. And so we want to bring that to this earth. Now I don't think that we talk about heaven enough. We really don't talk about heaven a lot, do we? I think we need to talk about it more. I think we ought to think about it more. It's in the Bible in a lot of places because it's important. And how can we bring heaven to earth? How can we bring God's will being done in heaven to earth unless we understand what heaven is all about? Jesus said in Revelation 3.21, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And here in the verses that we've read, we saw believers that have overcome these elders sitting on thrones with Jesus and the Father. And so in prayer, as we ask God to bring his will to earth as it is in heaven, we participate in bringing God's rule and reign to this earth as people come into the kingdom, as people come under the rule of God. And as we worship, as we're filled with God's Spirit, we bring God's peace to this earth. God has called us to be peacemakers. And so we want to bring what we see in heaven to this earth. Prayer brings God's glory to earth. Prayer brings heaven to earth increasingly. Now heaven is, is filled with worship. John continues to look at this scene in heaven. We have the throne. We have the 24 elders around the throne and other thrones. We have the seven lamps blazing, the sea of glass in front of the throne. And then he sees in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Now, scholars differ on what these four living creatures are. But they are there. Some think they are cherubim. Others think they are some other kind of spiritual creature. But they are created things, created beings, spiritual beings that have been created by God. And we'll see that every being in heaven, whether human, whether angelic or, or something else, is engaged with one thing, worshiping God. Every creature worships God. Every creature's main purpose is to worship God. These four living creatures are covered with eyes. You know, everything that God creates demonstrates an aspect of who He is. And so these creatures covered with eyes represent the all-seeing eyes of God. Nothing escapes His notice. They see everything. You cannot hide from God. He knows every thought, every deed. Now, heaven is filled with worship, and heaven is, is so much more than you can imagine. Verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. So I believe these four living creatures represent all of God's creation. God's attributes are demonstrated in His creation. The lion represents God's majesty, the king, you know, the king of the jungle, the king of the beasts. The ox represents God's strength, being able to 
to work in the hall. Great power. The man represents God's wisdom. And the eagle, his loftiness. God is high and lifted up, far above all other creation. Heaven is so much more than we can imagine. It, and it exists right now. I've heard people say, I don't want to go to heaven. It's going to be such a boring place because I'm just going to flit around and play my harp on a cloud. That's not the picture of heaven here at all. I mean, heaven is so much more than we can imagine. A place where the negative effects of sin do not intrude at all. And God's incredible creativity is on full display. The creatures of heaven, even now, move around and carry out God's will on this earth. The Bible teaches us that there are myriads of angels in heaven. And they are operating in our world today. And I believe the laws of nature are simply God and the creatures of heaven carrying out His will on an active basis. The Bible says that God holds everything together. The very atoms that we are constructed of are held together by the power of God. The constants of the universe, the speed of light, is always the same because of God operating that way consistently, regularly. And so what do these living creatures do in heaven? Oh, they worship. Heaven is permeated with God's holiness. It says each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. What do they do? Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so their worship, the first worship we see in chapter 4, Worship of these living creatures ascribe holiness to God. Now, what does holy mean? Holy means completely set apart from his creation. He's, he's completely other than everything he's created. You know, other religions mix God in. The creation is God and nature, Mother Earth and all. God is completely separate from his creation. Holy means that God is perfect. He has no sin. He has no evil. Everything he does is right and true and just. The creatures speak three holies. Holy, holy, holy. One for each person of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God is worshipped as the one who's always existed. Who exists now. And who will always exist. I'll sometime take about 15 minutes and think about that for a while. We cannot comprehend of something that has always existed and will always exist. It blows our mind because what? Every created thing had a beginning and will have an end. Except believers who put their trust in Jesus Christ. And then we draw our eternal life from Him. We have not always existed, but we will live forever. What a wonderful truth. And since heaven is filled with this worship going on all the time, we want to bring heaven to earth. And so our lives must be filled with worship. 
And what is worship? Worship includes singing songs on Sunday mornings, but that's not all that worship is. That's an important part, but God wants our entire lives to be filled with worship. What we say, what we do each and every day. Worshiping Him. In order to worship, our lives must be holy. We must have received Christ's forgiveness. We must be cleansed of sin. We must be set apart to worship God alone. The Bible condemns those who try to worship God and worship created things at the same time. God rejects that kind of worship. He is a jealous God. The Ten Commandments say that we are not to put anyone on par with Him. We are not to worship other gods. We are to worship Him alone. And the more we worship God in spirit and in truth, the more we're going to experience His closeness, His presence, and His power in our lives. And so what is our response to seeing heaven as the Apostle John has depicted for us in Revelation chapter 4? We should worship God, the eternal God. It says in verse 9, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. And so the four living creatures, they, they worship God, the eternal God. He, he lives forever and ever. They give glory to Him for who He is. They give honor for His character. They give thanks for what He's done. And, and worship is contagious. And so as the living creatures, I'd like to see some computer-generated graphics of what these four living creatures might look like, right? With eyes all over and wings. And I don't think we could even begin to picture them. We have some idea in our mind, but worship is contagious. And as these living creatures worship, it inspires the 24 elders to worship. And they worship by submitting themselves to God. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Let's repeat it again here. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say. And so these elders represent redeemed humanity in heaven. Different interpretations why there's 24. It's obviously a multiple of 12. And some think it's the... Uh, some think it's 12 representing 12 Gentiles, 12 Jews. Some think it's 12 representing uh, the apostles and the 12 tribes from the Old Testament. We don't know exactly, but it's uh, something to do with the fullness of humanity. Every person on earth falling down and worshiping God. Falling down before Him, bowing down before Him. That's an act of submission. It's an act of worship saying, God, you are great. I worship you. I don't even stand or sit in your presence. They lay their crowns before the throne as an act of worship. They say that everything we have, everything that we are, everything that we've done, we submit to your rule and your reign. We are not independent of you, God. We are completely dependent on you. They worship the God who created them. Here's what the 24 elders say. You are worthy O oh, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. 
God is worthy to be worshipped for many reasons, but here we see He's worthy to be worshipped because He created everything. Everything that's been created in the universe, both physical, the things we can see on this earth, and spiritual, the things that we can't see. The angels, these creatures, and I'm sure there's other things, was designed and created and sustained by the glory of God and the power of God. So as I've said before, there's only two classes of beings in the universe. There's the creator who stands alone by himself. And there's all the things that he's created. You were not created by a mindless process called evolution. You were created by the creator God who decided in and of himself to make us for his own purposes. He oversaw every aspect. And so this week I'd encourage you to reread Revelation 4 and read Revelation 5 as well. They're short chapters, but that gets into the worship of Jesus the Lamb. And incredibly, in that chapter 5, it says, every creature in heaven and earth worships him. Even the animals, everything worships God because they were created by Him. And so our lives should be filled with worship just as heaven is filled with worship. When you worship, you please God. And we, as we worship Him, we become more like Him. That's a good thing. We become more and more like Jesus as we worship God. And so take time every day this week to read your Bible, to pray. And to worship the one who created you. Worship throughout the day. How can you do that? As we go through our days, we can thank God. Because the Bible says every good gift that you have in life. If you can't think of anything good in the day, you're still breathing. Okay? As long as you have breath, you can thank God for your breath. As you're still breathing, you're still alive. Thank Him for every good thing that you have in your life. It, everything good in your life came from Him. Don't think I did it with my own strength. Everything good comes from God, and for that we should offer Him thanks. Praise Him for answering your prayers. Honor Him by recalling His attributes. I mean, we could go on and on about what God is like. His love, His mercy, His power, His greatness, His justice. And worship His awesome power. And as we worship each and every day of the week on our own or with our families, that prepares us to come together and worship with the rest of the church on Sundays and the other times we get together. Sunday morning is not to be a time of entertainment where I'm up here tap dancing or juggling or whatever I don't do. Uh, when we come together, everyone should be participating. When we sing, everyone should be Singing and worshiping God. Now you might not be the best singer in the world. Maybe you can't even keep a, tone, a tune. But as you voice your worship to God. He loves it. It pleases him. And even as you listen to the word of God. Don't just listen. Take it into your very hearts. And ask God how you can put it into practice in your life. God is pleased as we worship Him. And as we do in our prayers, we are bringing heaven to earth. 
We're bringing God's kingdom, His power, and His glory ever closer. Now, to truly worship God in His holiness, we need to receive God's holiness by asking for His forgiveness. To become a believer and to become a true worshiper of God, because only believers can truly worship God, you need to admit that you've sinned. And that sin will keep you out of heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. And sin cannot enter heaven. And so we have to admit that we've sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have to admit that we've sinned. And we're never going to go to heaven with that sin in our lives. But we need to believe, secondly, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. And He never sinned. He died on the cross. He took our sins upon Himself. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We believe in Him and we commit our lives to Him and He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we are dressed, as it were, in white robes. And we now can enter into God's presence as a worshiper. And so if you've never done these three things, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, or perhaps you want to renew your commitment to Him, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads right now and we're going to pray. We're going to pray a simple prayer and just agree in your mind. As we say, God sees and knows everything, even your thoughts. So I'd encourage you to agree with this prayer as I pray. Father, today, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've sinned. And that sin would keep me out of heaven. That sin would keep me from a relationship with you. And so, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my sin upon himself, and paid the price that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Give me your righteousness that I might live for you. That I might serve you all the days of my life and spend eternity in heaven with you. In Jesus' name I pray. For those of us who are believers, let's pray that God would help us put this word to application in our lives. Father, we pray that your, your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, God, for opening our eyes today to seeing what heaven is like. And this picture that you painted in our minds this morning, I pray that it would be carried with us throughout the week. You are the center of heaven. You're seated upon this great throne. And we see heaven filled with worship. And we want our lives, God, filled more and more with worship of you. We worship you this morning as the eternal God, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Our minds can't comprehend that, God, but we worship you. You are totally unique. Fill us, God, with your Holy Spirit that we might live lives of worship 24-7 with hearts filled with thanksgiving and praise to you. And as we come together on Sunday, God, may we worship you with all our hearts. May we not just sit and may we engage with you with our spirits. And as we worship you more and more, we thank you and we look forward to becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more like you. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.